All right, good evening. Uh, we are continuing our study of the Baptist Catechism. Uh, specifically, we are uh, we're using the edition, uh, right, the, the white catechism, uh, the, the booklet that we give out for free here at the church that's published by Reformed Baptist Publications. Uh, that's what we're going to be using, and this evening we come to question six in that catechism. And this question has to do with our use of the Word of God. Um, just so you know, questions five through seven all have to do with the Scriptures. Right, what, is, what is the Word of God? Our question this evening we'll get to in a moment. Um, they all have to do with the Bible and its authority, uh, our use of it, and the general teaching of Scripture. So that's questions five through seven. And we find them so early on, these questions about the Bible, we find it so early on in the Catechism because our view of Scripture is the foundation for the rest of our doctrine. Right? What you believe about the Bible is going to shape how you use it, what you look for in it, how you submit to it, and all the rest. Um, so, brothers and sisters, the Word of God is a very important subject for us to consider. Um, most of us probably already know this, but it bears repeating. The Scriptures are to be our highest treasure in this world aside from God Himself. And that's not because we worship the Bible. Right? We are not bibliolaters. Right? We don't worship the Bible, but rather it is in the Scriptures that we hear God and that He is revealed to us. So then if He is our highest treasure, the Bible is only second to Him because through the Scriptures we see Him. The Scriptures are important, and so it's good for us, and we would do well to meditate upon these things. And that's exactly what we're going to do this evening by considering question six in our catechism. And as always, before we begin, I want to make something plain. You're probably going to get sick of me saying this, but I think I have to. This catechism is not the Word of God, okay? And it is not inspired by God. But we do believe that it is a faithful summary of many doctrines contained in the Scriptures. And so, it is a faithful guide for us as we seek to learn the doctrines of our faith and as it provides Scripture proofs for what its teaching is. Um, so again, it is not Scripture, but... It's a good summary of what is taught in the Bible, just like our Confession of Faith, uh, the, the London Baptist Confession, or the Creed, right? The Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, those things that we confess as a church. So with that said, then, I'll pray, and we will begin to consider our question and answer for this evening. Our great God, we thank you for this Lord's Day and how you've blessed us already. And we are grateful that we can meet again as we seek to keep the whole day unto the Lord. We ask now that you would guide our thinking as we consider your word. By your spirit, please lead us into more and more truth as we search the scriptures and sanctify us by it. God, we do not merely want our heads filled, but we desire to be conformed more and more into the image of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So we ask that you would glorify yourself in us. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so our question for this evening, is it, is, it, is it up there with the question and the answer? Yes? All right, beautiful. Uh, read the answer with me. All right, this is how I catechize my daughter at home, and this is how I want to catechize you. I'll read the question, and then we'll all read the answer together. Question, may all men make use of the scriptures? Answer, all men are not only permitted, but commanded and exhorted to read hear, and understand the Holy Scriptures. Let's do it again. Repetition is important. Question, may all men make use of the Scriptures? Answer, 
All men are not only permitted, but commanded and exhorted to read, hear, and understand the Holy Scriptures. All right, that's, that's just beautiful to hear the congregation say things like that together. Um, so let's begin then by considering the question itself. Right? I, want, I want to make sure that everyone understands what's being asked and why. So the question, may all men make use of the scriptures? Now, our question uses the word may. And if you had a good English teacher, like Mrs. Allison in the back, you'll remember that may is a word of permission, right? Remember, can I go to the bathroom? I don't know. Can you? Because can is a word of ability, right? And what you really want to know is may I go to the restroom, right? May is a word of permission. So we're being asked this, are all people permitted to use and benefit from the scriptures. Now, in this situation, who would do the permitting? Well, considering that the Bible tells us that the Bible is God's book, it's his word, authored by his spirit working through men, it's his book. It belongs to him. It's God's book. And therefore, being the one who owns it, God would be the one who gets to determine who is and who is not allowed to use the Bible. Right? It's his book, so he gets to decide what it's used for, and who gets to use it. So then our question at root is this. Does God permit all people to make use of the Scriptures? That's the question. Does God permit all people to make use of the Scriptures? And listen, that, that may sound like an odd question to some of us. right? We're Protestants, right? We're Protestants. We believe in sola scriptura. We all own and read our own copies of the Bible. So our knee-jerk answer is, of course, Right? Of course, all men may make use of the scriptures. This question seems weird. Why would, why, why would our catechism ask that? Can we all use the Bible? I think this question seems strange to us because we are so many centuries removed from the clutches of the Roman Catholic Church. I think that's the background of this question. The men who put this catechism together were not that far removed from the beginning of the Reformation. Right? And Rome still had much power in that day. The Roman Catholic Church still had a whole lot of power. You see, uh, there are some religious traditions, like Rome, that believe that knowing the Bible and using it um, is not absolutely necessary for the average Christian. Let me say it again. There are some religious traditions, like the Roman Catholic tradition, that believe that knowing the Bible and using the Bible is not, or rather are not, absolutely necessary for the average Christian. Uh, more than that, the Roman church used to teach that it was dangerous to give a Bible to the person in the pew. And many of them still believe that today. Uh, if you read Protestant church history, there were a whole lot of people who died to get us a Bible in English. And it's because the Church of Rome did not want us to have a Bible in English. I'll let them explain why. Um, but in general, just to speak broadly, they believe that the Bible is simply too convoluted and too difficult for the average believer to understand. That's what they believe. And listen, there's, there are some parts in Scripture. Our confession says in chapter 1, not all Scripture is alike plain. Right, what does that mean? Some parts of the Bible are harder to understand than others. Amen? You ever read the book of Revelation? Hope you know the Old Testament like the back of your hand, because if you don't, you're lost, right? Not all scripture is the same difficulty level. 
right? But the, the Roman church believed that Scripture in general is too convoluted and difficult for the average person to understand. And so they fought really hard against the Bible being translated into the common language of the ordinary people, right? The, the Roman church believes that it is only the clergy, right? Priests and higher. It's only the clergy who must have understand and use the Bible. And that's even a bit debatable, honestly, uh, what, how, how much the priests even need to understand the scriptures. You can read church history where as long as they just knew how to say the mass, they didn't even, half of them didn't understand what they were saying in Latin. They just knew I'm supposed to say this at this time and this, this is what we do. So not even the priests understood what was going on during a church service. They just knew this is the ritual that we go through, right? So it's actually debatable how much that the clergy even needs to understand the scriptures uh, in, the, in the congregational level, the parish level. Uh, but the common people, rather, in the Roman view, are to simply receive what the church tells them and have faith that the church is telling them the truth. This is why one of the things we tell our Roman Catholic friends is that you believe in sola ecclesia. You believe in the church alone, not scripture. You believe in the church alone. So then, back in light of that, back when this catechism was written, it was a fairly common belief that God did not permit ordinary Christians to read the word of God. But in reality, it was simply the Roman Catholic Church that said that, not God. But let's be fair. Uh, nowadays, they think that it's okay to give people a Bible. But they, they would still admit to you, a good Catholic would still admit to you, that it is not necessary for the average person to know or even really understand what the Bible says. Right? Hear me. In the Roman system, knowing what the church says about the Bible is technically enough. You don't need to know yourself what the Bible says. Just believe us. We'll tell you that's good enough. But is that what the Bible teaches? Is that what the Bible teaches? That's the question. What does God say? Right? Because even if people say, I've had a revelation from God, I don't know that. The only thing that we know for certain comes from God is the scriptures. So that's the only place that we can go for certain and infallible truth, as we learned last month. So what does God say about who is to use his word? And so the question stands, may all men make use of the scriptures? And our answer to that is this, all men are not only permitted, but commanded and exhorted to read, hear, and understand the holy scriptures. So not only does God permit you, but you are actually commanded and told to and encouraged to read, and if you can't read, then to hear Right? Or even if you can read, you come to church to hear the scriptures read. Right? To read and hear and to understand what the Bible says. Now, I'll defend that answer now using the Bible. Shocker. Right? Using the Bible itself, we will be considering scripture, uh, the scripture proofs in the catechism along with some other things. Uh, but we turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verse 39. I'll let you turn there. We're going to be in a few different places if you want to try to follow along. John chapter 5, verse 39. Here in the context, Jesus is in the middle of a discussion or uh, a debate with some of the Jews. Uh, usually whenever John uses the word Jews, he's talking about the Jewish leaders. That's just kind of how John uses it. It's just the Jews the leaders, probably Pharisees, and Jesus says this, John 5, 39, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. 
Now, just real quick, let's let's reason for a moment, right? Because God's made us reasonable creatures. Let's reason for a moment about this text and some others from the Bible. If the scriptures bear witness about Jesus, as Jesus says here in John 5, and they do, he's not lying. The scriptures bear witness to him. If that's true, and God commands that all men everywhere repent and believe upon Jesus, as we read in Acts chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, then surely God wants all men to read and understand the scriptures. If the Bible tells you about the Savior and God says, I demand all men trust in the Savior, then surely it's a good thing for you to know the Scriptures and see the Savior in them. This is reasoning there for a second. The Scriptures reveal the one whom God demands we turn to in faith. So surely God is pleased that men would search the Scriptures to find Him. So, but considering the verse itself, notice that the men Jesus spoke to in John chapter 5 Verse 39, they were not rebuked for using the scriptures. Look, Jesus doesn't rebuke them. Read the text again. He's not rebuking them for reading the Bible. You actually never find Jesus ever in anywhere in the Gospels rebuking anybody for using the Bible. You won't find it. They they were not even rebuked for diligently searching the scriptures. That means studying, right? Fine-tooth comb, diligently reading and studying the scriptures, Rather, what were they rebuked for here in in John 5? It's for not believing what the scriptures said. You search them looking for life, but they point to Jesus. This is what he says. They didn't believe what the Bible taught about, about him, about how the scriptures point to him. It's almost as if Jesus is saying it's a good thing to search the scriptures, but the problem is unbelief and the misuse of scripture. But they're not being rebuked for using the Bible. Not only that, but quickly consider this with me. I was listening to an apologist talk about this. He was dealing with apologetics with Rome. We often read of how Jesus gets upset when those to whom he speaks do not know what the word says. You notice that? He tends to get frustrated. How often do we read phrases like this in the Gospels? Do you not know? Well, how would they have known? Because the Bible says, do you not know? Or my favorite, have you not read? Right? Or what do the scriptures say? How do you read them? That is, after studying, what are your conclusions that the Bible says? For, uh, what are your conclusions about what the Bible says about this subject? Or this one, here's a strong one. God said to you, as if what God said through Moses centuries in the past was just as relevant in that day. He said, God said it to you. Right? So they're expected to know. Jesus expects people to know what the Bible says and to understand it. Uh, Furthermore, from Jesus' interactions with people, uh, we see that they are accountable to what God has said in the Bible. Um, So then, naturally, they must know what God has said, and they should therefore read, hear, and understand what God has said. It's an implied command, an an implied exhortation. A second text we turn uh, turn to now is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 8, very famous passage in the Old Testament. And there Moses is speaking to the Israelites in his farewell address. And he's speaking in chapter 6 about the law of God and the duty of parents to teach it to their children. Pay attention, mom and dad. This is good stuff. And there he says, you shall bind them. That is the words of God. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The Jews were to teach the commandments. That is the words of God to their children. And they were to, this is metaphor, having something, um, having something as frontlets between your eyes. It's metaphor. It's to be on the forefront of your mind always. And to have something on your hand, 
a sign on your hand that means that you're always doing, right? So your thoughts and actions are to be constantly on the laws, the commandments of God, and they're to teach these things to their children. And the only way, hear me, the only way to be able to do this is to first know what the words of God are. If you're going to keep them on the forefront of your mind and continually do them and teach them to your kids, you have to know them. This then requires a diligent use of the scriptures. That is hearing, reading, and understanding them. So hear me, it's not explicitly in the text, but Deuteronomy 6, 8 presupposes a proper use of the Bible. And instructing children was the job of the clergy? No, every single parent, not just the priests. The priests were to help the parents understand, but the parents were to teach their own children. So the parents needed to understand the Bible. So then everyone in Israel was expected, to one degree or another, to know the word. We see this again. This is a powerful text. This one made me laugh, actually, because it's so clear. Deuteronomy 31, 11 through 13. When all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law, and that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God. The scriptures were to be read, Moses says, to all the people, to all the people in this assembly, men, women, little ones, even the ones who aren't citizens of Israel, the ones who are just sojourning with you, who are not native-born, they have to come too and hear the words of the law read. Why? That they may hear and learn so that they might fear God. Again, hear, read, understand. Another text for us to consider, last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. I'll wait a moment, some of you are turning there. It's like sword drills. You guys remember that growing up? Not everyone grew up in a small Baptist church. They would, they would shout out Bible verses and first person to find them, put their Bible up in the air and stood up and read them. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Anyway, Keely knows what I'm talking about. She smiled. The rest of you are lame. Um, Another text for us to consider is Revelation chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and those who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Right? The Apostle John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, pronounces a blessing on the one who reads the book as well as the one who hears it. Now, real quick, some thoughts here. The book of Revelation is a letter. It's a letter, right? Remember the first couple of cha or chapters, two and three, seven letters to seven churches. It was meant to circulate, right? The seven churches are representative of the whole church. So this is a, this is a thing for the whole church. It's to be read in the Christian assemblies. And like all scripture, it was written to be understood. Why? So it could be kept. So that kept means obeyed. What, what does he say? Those who keep what is written in it. Blessed are those who hear and those who keep. In order to keep what the letter says, you're going to have to understand it. So once again, we see this. Reading, hearing, and understanding the scriptures is expected of God's people. And, and surely, hear me, that, hear me on this, the blessing of God, the blessings pronounced here, were not for a select few within the church. The blessing John has in mind is for the whole church. 
After all, again, this letter was written not just for the clergy, but for the whole church. And the blessing mentioned in this verse naturally extends to all of the word of God, since the scriptures were written down for the benefit and blessing of God's covenant people as a whole. You say, where do you get that idea that the scriptures are for everyone? 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 11, I mentioned it in this morning's sermon. The Apostle Paul writes this, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. The Apostle says that the things that happened to Israel in the Old Testament were recorded in Scripture for our benefit, for our blessing. The Scriptures as a whole, then, are meant to be a blessing to the whole church, not just the clergy. We see this again in Colossians 4.16. When this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you read the letter from Laodicea. The Scriptures, again, they're meant to be circulated and read among the church so as to instruct, edify, and bless the church as a whole. So then I hope you see that the blessing in Revelation 1-3 is not restricted only to the book of Revelation, but rather it's true of all of the Bible. Blessed is he who reads, and blessed is he who hears and keeps what the Word says. A final text to defend our catechism's answer is found in Acts 30. Or rather, 30. There's only 29 chapters in Acts. Acts 8-30. Yes, turn to the book of Second Opinions. Um, Acts chapter 8, verse 30. Thank you, Piper. Acts 8.30. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked, Do you understand what you are reading? In this text, Philip meets the Ethiopian eunuch. You guys know this. It's a pretty famous text. And the man, the, the Ethiopian eunuch, is reading from the scroll of Isaiah. It seems that he had a personal copy of the book. And Philip, this, I don't believe this is the apostle Philip, but rather he is a preacher who has been commissioned by God. Philip wanted to make sure that the man understood what he was reading. Now, why would he want to do that? Simply because the word of God is meant to be read, heard, and understood. I know, I'm, I know it's very simple. That's why it's so funny that people would challenge this idea from the Bible. But furthermore, we see no mention of rebuke from Philip, do we? Nothing. He just wants to make sure that the guy understands. He's not upset that the man has his own copy of Isaiah. He's not upset that the man is privately reading the Bible. Not at all. And that's because the Ethiopian eunuch was not sinning by privately reading Scripture. Rather, he wanted to know what God said. Now listen, he needed some help, and that's why Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 that God gave ministers as gifts to his church. He needed help. Right? He says, how can I understand unless someone teaches me? Right? But nevertheless, it was a good thing that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading the Word of God and seeking to understand it. It was good. It's commendable. So then, my brothers and sisters, it is manifestly clear that God gave us his word to be read, heard, and understood. And therefore, I'm laboring the point, I know, but therefore, all men are permitted, commanded, and exhorted to read, hear, and understand the scriptures. This is the very purpose for which God gave them, and he did not waste his breath when he spoke. Right. So now at this time, so we've walked through the catechism question, but I want to go a little bit beyond the catechism here. Because there, there are some things I think that would be good for us to hear. So if the scriptures are the word of God, and if God commands us to read, hear, and understand them, then how should we read and hear them? Right? The, the, the following thoughts are not original to me. I wish I was this uh, insightful. I stole them from an exposition of the Baptist Catechism by an 18th century Reformed Baptist named Benjamin Bedome, And he is 
fantastic. I'll, I'll tell you where to get the book if you would be interested in it. It's good stuff. But here's the question I want to look into now. How should we read and hear the scriptures? How should we read them and hear them? Since God has given them, this is a solemn thing. Right? That we ought not approach the word of God with frivolity. We shouldn't. We come to the hearing and reading of scripture to do serious business. So we have to come properly. And by the way, the hearing of the word uh, isn't just listening to your audio Bible. What you're doing now is the hearing of the word. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the proper, correct preaching of the word of God is the word of God. So how do we come to the hearing of the word as well as the reading of the word? First, we must come with faith. We must come with an open heart, ready to believe whatever God has said. Why? Because he's God. He is to be intrinsically believed just because he said it. We must come to the scriptures. We must come to the reading and hearing of the word with an attitude that says, thus saith the Lord is enough for me and I will believe him. Okay, so we must come to the word with faith, trusting that whatever God says to us in scripture is trustworthy, true, and as the apostle would say, worthy of full acceptance. Second, we must come with reverence and fear of God. We must humbly come to the word, recognizing who it is we are about to hear from. Hear me, in, in the morning, when you sit at your table with a, a cup of coffee there and you open your Bible, there should be some solemnity there. You are about to hear from the creator of the universe. At least I hope that you're opening your Bible every day at your table. I hope so. You're about to hear from the creator. And we must show the same reverence and attentiveness to the word as we would, as if Jesus Christ himself were standing before us and opening his holy mouth. Because hear me, he actually is. He is speaking through the scriptures every time that you open them. Third, we must come to the scriptures with meekness. Here's a fun one. With meekness, what does that mean? You don't fight back against what you read. I think this is actually what James is talking about in James chapter 1, when he says, be slow to speak, slow to get angry, quick to listen. I don't think he's talking about interpersonal relationships. If you look at the verses that come right before it, he's talking about the Bible. James says, don't be quick to get angry when you read the Bible. We need to come to the word with meekness, ready to be rebuked and corrected where we need it, and with an attitude that is submissive to the correction of God. Fourth, we must come to the scriptures ready to pay great attention. Oh, please, please don't, don't skim the scriptures like you skim a newspaper. Please don't do that. We must come ready to pay attention to detail and use the fullness of our mental and spiritual capacities to understand the word. We do not read the Bible lazily. Rather, we read it with serious intent to get to the bottom of what God has said. Why? Because God commands us and exhorts us to read, hear, and understand. So we put the effort into understanding. Fifth, we must come to the Bible often. Often. Hear me. I'm not saying that it's a sin for you to not read your Bible every day, but I would challenge you with this. Why don't you if you don't? Certainly people in, in centuries past had, had, had an excuse to not re read the Bible every day because they couldn't read. Or a copy of the Bible cost you your entire salary for the year. And they were hard to come by. 
There was no printing press. Or just this, you're out essentially slaving in the fields from sunup to sundown so that you don't starve to death. And maybe you didn't have the time. You literally didn't have the time because you were exhausted and you worked all day. Do we have those excuses today? We have an embarrassment of wealth on our phones with the scriptures. We have an embarrassment of time compared to those who have come before us. Brothers and sisters, we must come to the word of God often. Very rarely do we have an actual excuse for not reading the scriptures each day. We need to come often. Listen, we always need a guide. We, we stray so often, so we need to come back to the word often. We need encouragement and reminders of God's great love for us, that he controls all things, his goodness, the beauty of the cross of Christ, and other things. So we must come to the Bible regularly to hear from God. A sixth thing, we must come to the word with an eye to obeying what we read. This is huge. Again, this is the purpose of reading, hearing, and understanding, so that you might fear God and obey his commandments. Please hear me. We don't, and again, I think Reformed people kind of fall into this more so than other people. So be on guard. Maybe this isn't you. Maybe this has just been me. But I doubt it because I'm not the only sinner in this room. But we don't come to the Word simply to fill our heads with theological propositions or historical facts. We come to the Word to be instructed so that we might believe and be conformed to the ways of God so that we might live in a manner that delights the one who saved us through Christ. So come to the Scriptures with an eye to obey. Seventh, we must come to the Word in prayer. Listen, we're to understand. We're to understand and we are to believe. But we're sinful and we're weak. And so we must pray for the Spirit of God to make the text shine clearly in our minds and hearts. It is a supernatural thing to read the Bible. And as sinners, we need help. Everything we receive from God is by grace alone, and that includes your understanding of Scripture. And so the reading of Scripture should be saturated with prayer, asking God to help us. Help us to understand. So, my dear brothers and sisters, reading, hearing, and understanding the Word is serious stuff. It really is. We should come to the reading of the word properly. There are awful consequences for not reading, hearing, and understanding the scriptures. Listen, those who know nothing of the Bible are going to hell because they don't know the Savior. Is this not the most awful thing about not knowing the scriptures? They'll never hear of his atoning death, righteous life, or glorious resurrection apart from the word of God. Knowing what the Bible says is vital for the salvation of sinners. But listen... Even beyond that, I'm looking here and I believe everyone here is a professing Christian and I don't doubt your profession. Even for those who believe the gospel and have been justified through faith in Christ, you are going to heaven. Listen, if you don't know the Bible, you are still liable to fall into great sin and error. Remember what Jesus said to the Sadducees? You're wrong because you don't know the Bible. He says you don't know the scriptures or the power of God and that's why they fell into the error that they had fallen into. Hear me, even if you're a Christian, you are opening yourself up to a world of sin and false doctrine if you neglect the scriptures. You will be blown around by every new teaching that you hear, and you'll never know what, where the truth is if you don't know the scriptures. More than that, as hard, ethical, moral situations come upon you, and buckle up, they're coming more often for us each day, you will not know what to do if you don't know the scriptures, and you've not trained your mind in the scriptures You'll be at a loss for what to do, and you'll be more liable to fall into sin. There's great, awful consequences for not knowing, reading, hearing, understanding the Bible. But consider the great blessings of knowing the Word. The person and work of our Lord is found in the Bible. 
Salvation through faith alone in Christ alone is declared in the Bible. The assurance of pardon for those who trust in Christ is contained in the Bible. Correction and training in righteousness is found there. Rebuke and conviction of sin and reformation of life is contained in the book. Encouragement for the perseverance in the faith is found in the book. Constant reminders that God is for us, helps us, and loves us is found in the book. There are blessings there for you. So, my brothers and sisters, let me say this in conclusion. Read the book. (laughs) Read the book. Hear the book. Seek to understand the book. It is God's very word, and it has been given for your benefit. As the ancient saying says, take up and read. Take up and read. Use the book. It is God's greatest gift he has given to you, second only to Christ Jesus himself. So may God help us to receive it and cherish it as such. Amen. Let's pray. Our great God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you've given us a book that we are to, we are to read. You didn't give it to us for no reason, God, and there is glory contained in the pages. God, as I prayed last month with the last catechetical sermon, I pray now that you would help us to truly prize and treasure the word of God. Help us to take it seriously. Help us to treat it as your very word that you are speaking to us every time we hear it. Help us to obey it. Help us to believe it. Help us to come to it properly. Help us to come to it daily. And we ask that you would bless us as we do so. Have mercy and teach us. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.